Hey, good morning, everybody. <laughs> Am I on? I'll let them do their thing. There we go. Hey, so good to see you guys. If you're new here, thanks so much for, for being here. And uh, if we haven't seen you in a while, so good to see you again. Good morning, everybody online. Thanks for joining us. Um, yeah, I'm excited to see you guys and that we can be together this morning. If you have your Bible with you, please open with me to Ephesians 4, verse 17. All right, I want to open up with a question, you guys, as, as you're turning to your, to your page there. Do any of you remember being in kindergarten? Do any of you remember? I see some hands. Some of you aren't, I know, quite old enough to be in kindergarten yet. But uh, I was thinking this week about my kindergarten year. And uh, I was five years old in kindergarten. And my teacher was a nice young teacher named Mrs. Diller. And Mrs. Diller divided our class into table groups. And I got to sit at what I thought was the coolest table because it was the orange diamond table. It was cool, cool color, cool shape. I was proud of that table. And I remember that when it was craft time at our table, we didn't use glue to glue things together. We used this strange white concoction called paste. Do any of you remember paste? Okay, all right, good. And uh, paste was a little bit thicker than glue and apparently it was edible uh, because several of my table mates regularly licked the paste off of their fingers. I remember that. And, uh, you know, I distinctly remember one day in kindergarten a strange lesson that Mrs. Diller taught us one day. She taught us how to walk. She taught us how to walk. I don't exactly know why she taught us how to walk. Maybe because we'd all been walking incorrectly. I don't, I don't know. But Mrs. Diller showed us that, that when you step with your right foot, you're supposed to put your left hand in front. And when you step with your left foot, you're supposed to put your right hand in front. And you kind of walk in sync and balance your body that way. And Mrs. Diller had all of us stand up and practice walking around the classroom. And it was kind of fun. Now, I think I must have been one of those kids who had been walking incorrectly because I remember thinking that what Mrs. Diller was teaching us was groundbreaking. <laughs> this was unbelievable. And, and from that moment forward, we kindergartners could confidently walk out to the playground at recess and know that when we were walking, we knew what we were doing. <laughs> and that was a great confidence builder for us. Now, in this letter that we've been looking at uh, in Ephesians, the Apostle Paul talks a lot about learning how to walk. And this is an ongoing analogy he uses throughout the letter. Growing in Christian maturity means learning to walk like Jesus. And, and Paul's not talking, obviously, about how to physically walk with our bodies. He's talking about how to live, how to live our lives. Learning how to follow Jesus means learning to love the things that Jesus loves. Learning how to care for people the way that Jesus cares for people. Learning to think and act and speak the way that Jesus thinks and acts and speaks. So let's look here as Paul continues talking about this in today's passage, Ephesians 4, 17 to 24. 
Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So here in verses 17, 24 is what we're gonna look at today. Uh, We're gonna talk about these two commands that Paul gives us from the Lord, two major commands. First of all, he says, you must no longer walk the way that non-believers walk. And second, you must now walk the way that Jesus taught us to walk, okay? And this morning, we're gonna talk about each one of these one at, a, one at a time. So first, in verses 17 to 19, Paul tells Christians, you must no longer walk the way that non-believers walk. And if you remember earlier in this letter, Paul described the way that we walked when we were non-believers. In Ephesians 2, I'll give you a sec if you want to actually flip back there. Ephesians 2, just a a page back. Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. We'll put it on the screen too. This is what Paul said. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Okay, so now let's, let's hop back to chapter four in verse 17. Paul says, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So um, the trademarks then of our old walk, the trademarks of our old lives, Paul says is threefold. The trademarks were our corrupt minds, our corrupt hearts, and our corrupt actions. He talks about heart, mind, and actions. So let's talk briefly about each one of those. The mind that is in bondage to sin, the mind that has not been freed from sin through faith in Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension, that mind operates in futility and is darkened in its understanding. So that the the non-believing mind operates in futility means that it is ultimately eternally ineffective and unhelpful because it does not realize its ultimate eternal purpose, which is to know and enjoy the Lord Jesus Christ and to bring him honor and glory. And so the non-believing mind doesn't understand that purpose. That purpose of knowing the Lord and honoring the Lord seems 
like nonsense. It's foolishness. And, and we read here that the reason that the unsaved mind dis, uh, considers the gospel foolish is because the unsaved mind, it says, is darkened in its understanding. And so the unbeliever's mind is, is the way this is how scripture, dis, this is what scripture says is happening to the unbeliever's mind. The unbeliever's mind is being actively blinded by Satan so that the unbeliever cannot see truth clearly. That mind inside is dark inside. It can't see clearly. That mind does not see the sparkling beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 to 4 says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, non-believers. In their case, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That's a scary thing. That is what is happening to the mind, in the mind of, of us before we trusted in the Lord and for those who um, don't trust in the Lord um, right now. Now, in addition to having futile minds that were darkened in the under, their understanding, he says something about our hearts. Our hearts used to be hard toward God. That is the state of the unbelieving heart. It is hard toward God. We did not want God. We did not want the Lord Jesus. Our hearts had actually become so hard that they were calloused toward God and toward his love in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> the dictionary defines a callous as a thickened and hardened part of the skin or soft tissue, especially in an area that has been subjected to friction. And I imagine that, that many of you have calluses of different sorts on your body. Sometimes calluses are beneficial to have and sometimes calluses are detrimental to have. Some of you musicians uh, who play stringed instruments have developed calluses on your fingertips so that your fingers no longer blister or hurt when you push the strings down on the fretboard. Um, the, the tips of your fingers kind of feel numb. That's a good thing. And some of you carpenters and construction workers and firemen and farmers who use your hands a lot have developed calluses on your fingers and hands so that you can hammer and dig and swing axes without painful blisters and without pain anymore. So calluses can be very helpful, but there is a particular place where you don't want to grow calluses, and that's on your heart. That's a serious condition. That, that's, a, that's a real condition. It can grow in your physical heart. Your heart can harden physically. I've, I remember that happened to somebody in our church, and that was a very dangerous time. Their heart was hardening, and uh, they were in the hospital for that. Now, um, it's very dangerous to grow calluses on your physical heart. It's even more dangerous to grow calluses on your spiritual heart. Your spiritual heart is the heart that you can't see with your eyes. It is the central command center for your desires, your passions, your, your pleasures. And verses 18 to 19 say that the non-believing heart has grown hard and calloused toward God. That is dangerous. And so the non-believer does not want Jesus and actually has grown numb to 
the good news of Jesus and God's word. And so what's the result of all that? Well, the result, it says, is that non-believers are alienated from God, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. And this ignorance is not a naive ignorance. It's not uh, as though they're missing some information about God. This is what Paul describing, is describing here. This is a willful ignorance. This is a willful rejection of God and of the eternal life he offers. I don't want to know you, God. That's, that's what Paul's describing here. Now, when you combine a hard, calloused, alienated from God heart with a darkened and futile mind, what kind of life do you live? How do you act? You act in dark defiance of the Lord Jesus. That's how you live, in dark defiance of the Lord Jesus. Ephesians 4.19 says, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So what does it look like then to, to live in dark defiance of Jesus? Well, the first common characteristic Paul says here is, is that that life is commonly characterized by unrestrained sensuality. And the word sensuality in this verse means promiscuous and unprincipled in sexual matters. So to be a sensual person in a sinful way means to just abandon yourself to sexual pleasures without any moral restraint, without the guidance of God's word. And then Paul further describes this kind of sensuality as being greedy to do this, being greedy to practice every kind of impurity you can think of. And impurity is, it's corruption, right? It's the opposite of how God is. God is, is, is pure, perfectly pure. God is holy. God is righteous. But before we trusted in Jesus and before the unsaved mind and the hard heart trusts in Jesus, it can't get enough of impurity, okay? We were greedy for it. The corrupted flesh says, who cares about morality? Who cares about what God says in the Bible? As long as you don't hurt anybody, go for it, right? That is the modus operandi of our world. And this was our modus operandi before Jesus saved us. See, we turned on our computers, we turned on our tablets, our phones, our TVs, greedy for impure sensuality. We looked at other people, at school, at work, at the grocery store, at the gym, with eyes of impure sensuality. Like that was our unrepentant mode of operation. The things we talked about with our friends, the things that uh, uh, we went to, the parties we went to, the, the things we did in the dark were expressions of our greed for impure sensuality. But here, this is what Jesus tells us as our loving God and Savior. He says, my beloved, that is not for you anymore because that's not you anymore. Unrestrained in, uh, sensuality, unrestrained impurity, they're not for you anymore. And I know that because I made you and because I love you more than anybody else loves you. 
And that's why I came, Jesus says. I came to earth to suffer and die the punishment you deserve to, to die and be punished for, for those sins. And I, I, I rose from the grave and freed you from your enslavement to the power of those sins. And I, I filled you with my Holy Spirit to convict you of those sins and to give you power now to walk like me, to walk in holiness. I love you. I saved you eternally from all those things that will kill you eternally. Don't make yourself a slave to those things again. I was killed so that you can have abundant life with me right now and forever. Thank you, Jesus, right? <laughs> Thank you, God. So, so if we trust in Jesus, if we follow Jesus, we will live the abundant life, true life the real purpose of life. You will live the life of grace, grace, God's grace. And even though you must fight the sinful impulses of your flesh every day this side of heaven, sin will not conquer you if you are in Christ, okay? Because why? Because <laughs> Jesus won't let it conquer you. Praise God, right? He will give you power to turn. Power to turn away more and more from the sinful impulses that once held you in bondage, that once controlled you. He will give you power to live by faith in him. Power to trust him day by day. And so here in verses 17 to 19, God's first command for us is you must no longer walk the way that non-believers walk with a corrupt mind and a corrupt heart and corrupt actions. And now in verses 20 to 24, God's second command for Christians is, you must now walk the way that Jesus taught you to walk. Okay, you must now walk the way that Jesus taught you to walk. And this is what Paul writes. <clears throat> he says, but that is not the way that you learned Christ. Assuming that you heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That old impure life is not the way you were taught by Jesus to live. Paul adds this, that is, if you heard the true biblical Jesus. There's a lot of Jesuses that people like out there, but it's not the Jesus of the Bible. And so Paul draws a, a distinction. He says, if it was the true Jesus, this is what Jesus is like. But if the Jesus of the Bible is not the Jesus that you know and follow, you don't know and follow the real Jesus. Um, I remember listening to Pastor Ray Ortland once, he's a pastor in the South, and where everybody's a Christian, right? And, uh, right, everybody goes to church. It's just part of the culture. And they actually now, in their statement of faith and in their vision and philosophy of the church, have to talk about Jesus as the real Jesus. In or they say that. They have to put that adjective in front of them, the real Jesus, in order to help people differentiate from the Jesus they're hearing about everywhere else. This is what the real Jesus is like, the scriptural Jesus. And then what Paul says here is this. 
the truth is in this Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life is what Jesus said. The Jesus of scripture. This is the Jesus we want to know and follow and worship, the Jesus of the Bible. He's the Jesus who loves us and who has our back. And so he contrasts this with what he's just been talking about. The truth is not in the impure sensuality that our flesh in this world is greedy for. The truth is not in the mentality that says, I don't care if I'm going to hell as long as I'm going with my buddies. That is not truth. That is not what is going to happen to you. It will not be a party. Jesus would not have come to save you from hell if it was going to be a party in hell, okay? And so what Paul does is he tells us now three ways to walk how Jesus, the true Jesus, taught us how to walk by his grace. And he says this, first, put off your old self. Put off your old self. Your old self is your old you. It's your old walk. It's the old way you used to live your life. And Paul says that your old self belongs to your former manner of life. Your old you, your old self is corrupt through deceitful desires. Your desires were corrupt. And your old self includes things like your old habits, your old unhealthy fixes that you used to go to to deal with your pain. Your old self is the old way you used to talk mercilessly about people behind their backs. Your old self is, is the old way you used to doubt God and his goodness. Your old self is the old way you used to sinfully dress. It's the old impure things you used to joke about with your friends. It's the old way you used to chase after every impure pleasure that you could think of and get your hands on. Now, because we still have indwelling sin, our old selves still rear their ugly heads in our daily life. And it's very easy and tempting to put on that old self just like an old comfy pair of smelly shoes, right? But Jesus wants you to know that that old self isn't you anymore. The Lord wants to help you take off that old self over and over every day. And he wants to help you put on your new self in Christ through faith. The second way uh, to walk how Jesus taught us to walk is to be renewed in the spirit of our minds, to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. So because we're so easily tempted to put on our old selves, to walk in our old flesh, we've got to constantly fill our minds with truth. We have to renew, we have to, what do you do kids when you renew a book at the library? You bring it back to the library, right? and you renew it, or you go online and you renew it. You keep coming back and renewing something. That's what it means, keep coming back to God's word. Renew your mind. Um, we gotta keep coming back to the, the, the promises of God, the truths of God every day, what they mean for us. We gotta think about why is this good news for us? What does this look like in my life now if I live this out in obedience to Jesus? In Romans 12, 2, Paul writes, do not be conformed to this world. 
So do not let this world shape you into what it wants you to look like and think and be like. Instead, be transformed, be changed. How are you changed? By the renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So the things that you fill your mind with directly affect your ability to put off your old self and to put on your new self, okay? And all of us, if, all of us are thinking all day. Some of us more than ever, others are, are thinking about words and messages and problems all day long. And the words that we choose to read and the shows that we choose to watch and the amount of social media and the amount of news that we ingest, all of these things shape our minds and they shape the way that we deal with our problems and the way that we think about our problems. I read a fascinating article this week about <clears throat> the unprecedented way that the media and specifically news agencies and social media are shaping the minds of Americans right now. People are using social media more than ever before, and people are watching news more than ever before for all sorts of reasons. But what it's doing is it's really changing Americans. It's changing the way that people think and the way that people act out, and that includes Christians. And so my advice is this, as Christians, we've gotta be really cautious of who we allow to disciple us. Who is discipling you? Who is speaking the majority of words that you hear every day into your mind? Is it the Bible? Is it the person on the screen? What, what is shaping you, Christian? And I think today's passage says that we need to spend much more time renewing our minds with the wonders of God's word, which is unchanging, and we need to spend less time filling our minds with worldly worries, which we, we don't have to look far to fill our minds with worry, worldly worries. They constantly barrage us. And I think God is telling us here, that's the old you. I want you to focus on me and focus on who I want you to be in the middle of the storm and how you think and act in the middle of the storm around you. So let's keep our eyes on Jesus and follow his example as we seek to have a renewed mind. And then the third way to walk how Jesus taught us to walk is to put on the new self. Put on the new self. Ephesians 4.24 tells us to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And putting on the new self is very similar to what Paul describes elsewhere in the New Testament as putting on Christ. And I like what gotquestions.org says about this. <clears throat> to put on Christ means to follow him in discipleship, letting our lives be conformed to the image of Jesus. Rather than adapting ourselves to the pattern of this world, we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds and the modification of our behavior into the model of Christ's life on earth. This change requires putting off the old self and putting on the new throughout the Christian life. To achieve this transformation, we rely wholly on our righteous standing before God made possible in Jesus Christ. 
Hear that? That last sentence is crucial. It means this is not, I'm working really hard to do this thing, my own flesh, I'm gonna accomplish this. It means trusting in who you are now in Christ and coming back to that and coming back to how Jesus sees you and loves you in Christ. Because following Jesus is not only about putting off our old ways. It's not only about putting off the ways of the world. We have to understand this, following Jesus is about putting on something much, much better. It's not like this equal trade. It's throwing off old, dirty garments and getting a beautiful, pure robe of righteousness that God wants you to put on. It's the righteousness of Christ and it's the righteous and abundant life he wants for us. And so we live this new life. We put on this new robe of righteousness by God's grace alone through faith alone. And as we follow Jesus, this is what the gospel does for us, the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection for us. We can do this by resting our souls in his goodness, by resting our souls in his grace, by resting our souls in his sovereignty because he is the author and the finisher of our faith. Amen? So let's review here. Christians, you must no longer walk the way that non-believers walk with a corrupt mind, a corrupt heart, and corrupt actions. You must now walk how Jesus taught you to walk by God's grace through faith, putting off your old self, being renewed in the spirit of your minds and putting on your new self in Christ. Next week, the passage gets really practical and tells us how to put off that old self and how to put on the new self in really specific ways. So I hope you'll come back for that. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word today. Thank you so much that we have the Bible in our language uh, that we can read and meditate on, not only on Sunday, but every day of the week. Thank you that you are available to us um, uh, 24-7. You're always with us. You are for us in Christ, Lord. <clears throat> Lord, we, we thank you for intervening in our lives, for giving us new hearts of flesh to replace our old hearts that were callous and hard toward you. Thank you for giving us hearts that desire you and that treasure you, Jesus. We pray for our loved ones who do not know you. We pray for our neighbors who do not know you, um, who are currently living with corrupt minds, hearts expressed through corrupt actions. And Lord, we just want good for them. And we pray, Lord, that... Uh, you know, we are not the Savior. You are the Savior. We are beggars who tell other beggars where to find food. And so we thank you, God, that you are the eternal food, the eternal word of life, our eternal Savior and Lord. Thank you for being so gracious to us. And help us, Lord, daily uh, to put off our old self, to put on our new, uh, not to get hung up over and over and beat ourselves up over and over again for who we aren't, or for our failures, God. Help us, though, to repent, to thank you for who we are in Christ, and to take one step a day towards living with hearts, minds, words, and actions that are like yours. We love you, and we pray this for your glory. Amen. All right. So good to see all of you guys this morning. We love you. God bless you. Hope you have a great day. Thanks for coming, kids, too. <laughs>